The OneStream Global Education Services team proudly presents the OneStream Podcast with your host, Peter Fugere. Greetings, fellow OneStreamers, and welcome to the OneStream Podcast, where we explore, examine all things OneStream, talk to experts in the industry, and gain knowledge from some of the brightest minds that help deliver and implement solutions for our clients. This episode is part of the OneStream Foundation series, where we explore and examine the fundamental concepts, tools, and topics surrounding OneStream. I'm your host, Peter Fugere, Chief Solutions Officer at OneStream Software. And as always, I'm excited about our topic today, BI Blend. The last six years, leading projects and designs with some of our most high-profile clients. We're lucky today to have Sam Richards, architect from our services group. Welcome, Sam. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. So, Sam, tell the listeners, what, what's your role at OneStream? What's an architect and what do you do in services? Um, yeah, so an architect inside of services goes in to help facilitate discussions and design the overall application and platform that the uh, customer is using to really help them leverage and get the most out of our platform. Got it. So you're you're going in and you're helping them really get the most ROI, the biggest bang for their buck, helping them make sure that the solution's solid, they've got a good approach, it's performing well, everything. Absolutely. Yeah, we go in and look at all their processes and help lay out the best path from both the implementation side as far as staging those processes inside of OneStream to deliver them, as well as what all is even possible within the tool itself. And so on the podcast, we talk a lot about the platform that really OneStream, it's a toolbox. You you don't have you know one, one solution that you're trying to apply to different problems. You've got a lot of different tools. And some of those are things like Relational Blend, which we've talked about, Cube Design we've talked about, and today BI Blend. And BI Blend's a little bit different. Why don't you tell the listeners, what is BI Blend? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a little bit different than the previous tools that you, you mentioned. The, those tools have their purpose and so does BI Blend. So BI Blend is a tool that really helps turn data into information. And what I mean by that is it takes a transient data set, something that doesn't necessarily belong inside of the cube, and helps it leverage some of the tools like hierarchies inside of the platform and turn that data into more of information, right? So there's many different uses for it, but really it is more of an extra tool to help get at that transactional level data that we don't really want inside the queue because it's not really meant for that, or even some other like sub-ledger aggregating it up to a general ledger style account um, processes as well. So this is, let's talk about this for a second. So BI Blend, you keep saying when when it shouldn't be in the cube. Mm-hmm. When should you use BI Blend and when should you use the cube? What what's What is it about the data that makes you pick one over the other? Sure. So the it's really around the metadata to me. A lot of it is that's kind of my first look at it, if you will. So if it's something like uh, invoice number, SKU, people names, really that data that's going to be changing all of the times. Um, you don't really want that inside the cube. And it sounds if, more it sounds more transactional too. I mean, you're talking absolutely. about- Absolutely. Yeah, like th- things I would think in a cube, you're thinking about the financial close, maybe a budget, more summary. Your, your examples just then, right, were like mm-hmm. transactional sort of things. And that makes sense. You know, a relational table really can hold a lot of trans- millions, hundreds of millions of records of transactional data. So that makes sense. Absolutely. You see it a lot on the transactional as well as on the operational side of things. 
And so then what's the difference really between BI blend and relational tables? Because the relational table, you know, we, we had talked about with Andy uh, mm-hmm. in a previous podcast, and I encourage the listeners to go back to listen to that one too. But, you know, in a relational table, you've got a large volume of data. So what makes BI blend different? Sure. So BI blends a little bit different. It, it does end ultimately end up in a table like a lot of the uh, relational blending stuff. So it will be a relational table that it is uh, landing in, but it gives you an added ability to leverage things inside of the tool like hierarchies for aggregation. It allows you to do some simple calculations, some simple translations to really help transform that data to more get in line or in sync with that cube data to even leverage relational blending to the next step. So that's interesting. So relational tables, that's just a large volume of data. Maybe you could do some some light calculations in it, but not very much. The cube data, really the calculations go right down to the cell level um, and more summary. BI blend somewhere in the middle, it sounds like. You've got, you can handle a large volume of data and have hierarchies and have some light calculations. So that's that's a really powerful option when you're sitting and doing design. Absolutely. So what are some of the considerations you do uh, when, you, when you sit down, you're talking to a client, you're going through a design? Tell me about that process. What are the considerations you make for BI Blend? Yeah, so some of the considerations that you're going to want to take into um, consideration uh, when you're going into using a tool like BI Blend is, how many aggregation points are we talking about again? Because you're already talking about a large data point, data set, data model. Yeah. Um, and the more aggregation you add into it, you're just going to get even more data explosion, right? So depending upon how complex those hierarchies are, for every single aggregation point, you've just added another row inside of that table. Uh, what kind of calculations are being performed, right? So there are some things to be considered when you're coming in and looking at the calculations themselves, like the blend unit. So the blend unit is how uh, one stream takes and slices up that data set into bite-sized chunks, if you will, when it's processing. And most of the calculations can only really be performed within that one uh, blend unit. So you want to make sure you consider that as well as what kind of security or what is the process that's going to be done, right? So who is going to be responsible for this process? Uh, when is this process going to be done, right? There is some differences in the uh, usage of computing power when a, a BI blend is load versus a normal cube load. So those are some of the main considerations that you're going to want to take into, into mind when you are designing for a use case with BI blend. We said it's transactional or the data is more transactional in, in that sense that you're handling these large volumes, right? Mm-hmm. How, what a, what sort of records, number of records would you say are sort of like a red flag? You're saying, hey, you know, this is actually a great tool for this sort of a problem. What are some of the biggest volumes of data you've seen? Yeah, so I mean, I've seen data sets into the millions um, being loaded into BI Blend. Um, now, the more records that you get, it's more starts to become really more of a, a physics kind of issue for processing, right? You're moving the data, one, and then two, you're also processing the data set, right? So you're going to want to keep in mind the hardware because there are costs when it starts getting up to um, those larger data units because you're going to want the horsepower behind it to be able to compute in a reasonable amount of time. 
And then on the reporting side too, I mean, there are considerations with how are you going to use this data with reporting inside of OneStream as well. Setting up the, the BI blend, I've got this data coming in, um, you know, OneStream, pretty simple. I can, I can load from the stage to a cube. How difficult is it or what, what kind of tricks are there to setting up BI blend? Is it the same? Is it, is it different? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's very similar to taking and setting up a normal import inside of OneStream. You have a data source that you're defining. Same exact process as a normal uh, import to load in the queue. Transformation rules. You have transformation rules that you can leverage. Same as you would as a normal import loading into a queue. There is a added step inside the workflow where you will actually take and define the BI blend settings. So that's where you're going to come in and define if you're translating or not. Like we said, those simple direct translations. Um, you're going to define the method type or the data controls around it. You're going to define your blend unit, like we talked about a little bit before, as well as any kind of aggregation that you're doing. As far as tips and tricks, I mean, there are some some tips around or some tricks, should I say, around here, especially when you start thinking about your aggregation. A very common trick is you may have a aggregation point that may need to be a little bit different than a hierarchy you had inside the queue. We can take and leverage the uh, a UD. So in this case, a lot of times I will use the UD8 and create a hierarchy that is just really for BI blend and then leverage that across any of the attribute aggregations that we're wanting to load as well across any UDs. You don't necessarily have to use a UD8 hierarchy just for a UD8 dimension. Let's explore that a little bit. So um, when, you, when you're setting this up, you could use one of the user-defined dimensions and build out another or a different type of roll-up of that data just for BI Blend. Absolutely. Yeah. You also get in the added benefit of not being in the cube. You know, we have the eight user-defined dimensions, but now inside of BI Blend, you also bring in all the uh, 20 attribute dimensions that you can start to have hierarchies in and really aggregate that different aggregate that data for different looks. So that that's really powerful. You know, um, when we talk about the cube, yes, we have eight user-defined dimensions, but those user-defined dimensions are actually reusable for every account so by groups of accounts so so it's it's not like you're limited to just eight but then you go into bi blend where you have a larger volume of data and then another 20 so like you know you you could really do some incredible stuff with that yeah so i mean really you want to design your looks for a specific purpose right you don't want to try to accomplish everything in one you can load that same data set and have more than one BI blend table that just serves a specific purpose, right? So I could have one that I'm aggregating on my UD1 and 2 if I wanted to for the server purpose. And then I could have another table that I'm loading the same base data set, but I'm aggregating it maybe on attribute 1 and 5, right? So really designing that look for the specific purpose that you're trying to solve for, not a one table to serve everything. So that's so that's a really interesting point. So um, that's beneficial in, to my mind in two ways. One, it's more of a focused view of the reporting, the transfer of ownership, the ability to write reports for, for that user, probably 
very high, very good. And then from performance, you know, trying to do, you know, the, the, if you have unlimited dimensions and you just sort of put it out there, the calculation and processing time is not going to be as fast as if you had a couple smaller focus tables. Is that right? Absolutely. So, and then from the workflow perspective, the way you're describing it, this is just one common workflow. You know, um, it's the same, same like a cube, same like relational blend. From the end user perspective, they don't need to know uh, what's in the cube, what's in BI blend. It's all in one stream. Absolutely. It's one common place that they're coming and interacting with. They're not having to take to log into multiple applications or anything like that. It's one workflow. They, it is user triggered, they can come in, load their cube data, load their BI blend data, and they're just hitting load just like they would on any other process. And it's all in that one spot. And if I go back to my tool analogy, it's like, well, you know, I'm using the right tool for the right job. If I've got a high number of transactions uh, that I need to, to pull into the system for some reason, I could use relational blend. If I need to do some small aggregations with it, but it really doesn't fit in a cube because of the data. I got BI blend. And if I need to do that slice and dice, I've got the cube. But it from the end user, they just don't know that you're using the right tool, the right job. But the end user is just sort of it's all one stream. And that's that's important, I think. Absolutely. So tell me about the calculations. Uh, how do you do a calculation and and how do you build that into the BI blend table? So the calculations are a little bit different um, than how you would normally set up a cube, cube calculation, but they are you can use a similar method as some of the cube calculations. What I mean by that is the calculations are really set up inside of that transformation process. So we're going to be leveraging our derivative rules inside of our transformations to be able to take and multiply those account by accounts or those basic calculations that we're talking about will all be set up inside of that transformation process. So now we got this information in the table. What are the common ways of reporting on it, viewing the data, doing analysis? How does that all work with BI Blend? Absolutely. So the common ways that you're going to be analyzing or viewing the data um, that we're loading via BI Blend are some of the similar ways that we've probably Andy covered on when we're talking around relational blend. We're going to be leveraging our dashboards to take and pull data out of those tables that's on the BI Blend server and visualize them to the end user. So the main considerations that you're kind of going to want to think about when you're doing this is some of your data volume, as well as what the end user is trying to do. The reason I say the data volume is because there's really two broad um, categories, if you will, when looking at data in a dashboard, you're going to have paging components and non-paging components. So really what that's going to do is a paging component is going to be able to handle a lot larger data set than a non-paging component, like a BI viewer that's going to do charts and graphs and stuff like that, where, for example, a pivot grid can handle is a paging component and can handle that larger data, data set. So Sam, if I have all this data, I've got special rollups, maybe special aggregations. How do I set up security? And and with security, is that something I can use to limit not just what people can see, but for purpose? Meaning, you know, I don't want to confuse the end users by giving them, you know, alternate rollups that might make sense for one person and not another. Like, 
how do, how do you manage that and how do you set that up? So yeah, so security is in, with a BI blend solution is really more object security based um, than necessarily data security based. And what I mean by that is you're going to want to limit the objects like inside of your dimension library. You may not want them to have access to that UD to um, for their cubes. So you wouldn't assign that UD to it so they wouldn't see it. Then also on a workflow, just like any other workflow, you can control access who has access to even perform the function like loading the BI blend data. And then you get to the reporting side that you really want to control the access around the object itself. So in this case, when we're talking about dashboards, you would control who even has access to that dashboard to be able to look at that data. And that's really how you're going to set up security when it comes to BI Blend. And I guess that with, with the calculations with BI Blend, the users, they're not kicking those off on demand, are they? How's that work? Sure, so the calculations um, will happen whenever a user loads the data coming from BI, uh, from whatever source, whether it be a connection or a flat file. Whenever they go to load that into the BI blend table, that's when those calculations are going to execute. So that's where the understanding the process of why you're using this and how, uh, when you're using the data really comes into play because you might want to schedule it to have it happen overnight instead of having that user have the ability just to click load whenever they want to. So we can load data from one source or any source in, in that we're pulling data from, and we could load it to multiple BI blend tables, but can we load it to a BI blend and a cube? Absolutely you can. So how that would work is you, would, you could leverage the same data source for a BI blend load, as well as the more traditional import validate process that we would load into the queue. You could just have two sibling workflows um, that would, one would be to import the BI blend data, one would be to import into the queue. So Sam, BI blend sounds, it sounds great. It sounds like it's pretty easy to set up. It's, it's not complicated and it gives you another tool to solve reporting problems. This is, this is great. Um, tell me about use cases you've seen in implementations. How are clients using this? And no absolutely. names. Yeah, absolutely. So I've had clients solve for some of their uh, people reporting out of this because obviously some of that, those people, those heads are not necessarily, are those names are transient data and I don't want them into the cube, uh, load them into the cube as dimensions. So they've used it to solve for people reporting. I've had clients use it for a subledger, right? So looking at that transactional data to take and um, have the capability to use that relational blending that you talked about with Andy to be able to link that cube data with more of that transactional data. And then I've, I've also seen, I haven't personally done this one at a client, but I've also seen them leverage BI blend for simple allocations as well. Tell me more about that. What's, what do you mean simple allocations? Sure. So, for example, we had um, some, in the example that I saw, we had some operational costs that we wanted to allocate down to the store, but the store was not inside the queue. So, how this was performed was we used headcount as a driver for that allocation, just a percent of total. So, what we did is we would load one BI blend to aggregate up 
to get that total headcount that we wanted. And then another BI blend that would actually load, have um, a load file that had the store and the heads at the individual store. And then on the cross the columns, they had the cost centers that they wanted to allocate it to. So we would simply take the total OPEX that we wanted to, or the total cube number by cost center that we wanted to allocate and then allocate that down to the store level using a percent of total by taking and looking at the total heads from that one table when we're loading. And then we would take and compute a percentage that was that store's percentage of the total heads and then multiply it by that cube data that was the OPEX for that given cost center. Interesting. Now tell me about when, when you're doing an implementation, what would you say are the top three risks of, of doing it? And then one of the things we pride ourselves on one stream, high customer satisfaction, high customer success. So we're always thinking about, you know, where a project can go wrong and mitigating that risk. What do you think your top three are and how do you, how do you mitigate it? How do you solve for those problems to make sure the customer is successful? Absolutely. So I, I think one of the top problems when it comes to BI Blend is it's obviously it's more of a read-only reporting style solution. So you really have to understand the reporting side of the tool and understand its capabilities and set the expectations and solve for that specific purpose. What I mean by that is we want to manage that data set to how the tool that we're going to use to report it. Like I was talking about early versus the paging versus the non-paging, right? That's one of my the top risks that I see on BI Blend implementations is potentially not using the right tool to solve the reporting for the data volume that we're talking about. You know, if I think about that, yeah, that if I want to use forms, if I want to use journals, that type of reporting, I'm doing that in a cube. So mm -hmm. if if I need that type of reporting, I, I either have to I either have to marry that somehow with cube data, you know, a combination of BI Blend and Cube, or or come up with another solution for that. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, even when you're talking about uh, what kind of visualizations are you wanting to look at with this data, right? So in, if I'm wanting, in a dashboard, for example. Absolutely. Yep, in a dashboard. Um, so if I'm wanting to look at more of a graphical representation, I have to understand the limits of that component inside of dashboard and understand that I may have to filter down or aggregate up um, the data to a little bit higher level to facilitate that reporting versus if I'm going into, say, a paging component like a large pivot grid or a grid view that has paging capabilities that then I can have more granular detail. So, you know, and this is for, I think, for some of the listeners out there who work as consultants or or maybe if you're a client, you're on a project. I always think about, you know, something with dashboards, you can get into this circular sort of conversation with somebody, you know, it's like, well, what do you want to see? Well, what, how do you want to see it? And you, you know, it, well, what does the product do? And it's, it, it goes, you know, sort of back and forth and you don't really get anything accomplished. How do you navigate that? Like, how do you, how do you get from the client what really their reporting goals are? I mean, do you only have to do it if they, if they have it well-defined or how do you have that discussion where you, you tease that out of them and, and you're able to turn around something that, 
either meets or exceeds what they were expecting for data and reporting? So setting up and visualizing a day in the life of an end user and how they would experience it, right? So really that accomplishes two goals, right? It, it gives you a realistic and a, a working example of the requirement itself, as well as it also sets some expectations of what the end user would actually see inside of OneStream. That way, when you turn around and actually build it in OneStream, they already have a mental picture inside of their head on what they're going to be receiving. And then it's just tweaking it from that point on. Sam, thank you very much for bringing your expertise to the podcast today. And thank you, fellow OneStreamers, for joining us. Remember, if you like this content, please don't forget to subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Questions, comments, or concerns, please reach out at podcast at onestreamsoftware.com. I look forward to bringing you another exciting podcast. And until then, take care, and I'll see you next time on The OneStream Podcast. The OneStream Podcast is brought to you by the OneStream Global Education Services team.